Yeah. As that old saying, honesty is the best policy, right? And it's not about coming before men, but but just going before the Lord and being just forthright about where we're truly at, what our condition is, what it is we're struggling with, what we see, how the Lord's doing well by us. He's doing well by us in all things, but in areas where we see ourselves reflecting the goodness of God. And, uh, you know, that's that's how we get breakthrough. You know, without without honest assessment of where we're at, we're never going to move further in our relationship with the Lord. And um, I just share that because, you know, I met with the men uh, yesterday. We had like a little kind of barbecue. Uh, well, not really barbecue. We had El Pollo Loco. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we, we got together. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since we, you know, got together face to face off of a screen. And I mean, it was just great. The conversation that we had and, you know, the fellowship and. You know, there, there was a there was a joy there, but there was also a heaviness about just the state of the world. And I understand that we are on God's timeline. And right. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that, man, things are getting crazier and crazier. And the return of the Lord is sooner than we think. Nobody knows but the father the day of when. Jesus Christ will return, but for sure he's going to return. We did, we were talking about how, you know, back in the day, back in the day, day in Noah's time, right? No one had ever seen rain. And even his closest friends mocked him and made fun of, what are you doing? What are you, you're building this big structure for what? They didn't think it was going to happen. Sure enough, rain started falling. And what were people doing? Let me in. <laughs> Let us in. And no, the Lord said, nope. Those that chose to rebel, those who chose to disregard the warnings and heed the signs, they perished. And we're in the same predicament this morning. People may poke fun. People may scoff at your claim that Christ is going to return. Where's Jesus? The world's going crazy. Where's your God? He hasn't left. He's been here the whole time. He will return as far as Christ coming back for his bride. We can count on that. And, uh, you know, the portion of scripture we're getting in this week, uh, it's only going to get deeper and heavier. So strap on uh, your seatbelts and uh, get ready. So this morning we're in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be going through verses 1 down through 11. This is again the seven trumpets, but this is part two. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, the first woe, if you will. So uh, when you get there, Revelation chapter 9, please stand if you're, uh, you're physically able to for the reading of God's word. And we'll be reading through verses 1 down through 11. Once again, Revelation chapter 9, starting in verse 1 down to 11. And it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Verse 3, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions. Of the earth. They were told, Do not harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, 
but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. For they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had, a, they had a breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. Verse 11. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you to help us to understand this passage, Lord, to rightfully divide it, to uh, see the relevant truth in it, Lord. Help us to gain what we're supposed to gain from it, Lord. May we not be sensationalists, Lord, but may we be accurate in what your scripture is describing here. And again, Lord, may we take heed to these warnings, Lord. May we not be those that scoff at this and take it for granted the dispensation of grace that we are still able to live in, Lord, for there will be a time when grace is no longer upon this planet. So again, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, blessing us. And Lord, may we bless you with praise and honor due to you. Father God, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, you know, as I said, you know, it's just no joke. You know, the, 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 the scriptures, I mean, they just get so deep. And, and as I wrestled all week, Lord, what, what, what does all this mean? The Lord just gave me a word of repent, <laughs> repent, repentance. You see, what we see described here is the result of unrepented, unregenerated hearts. When men and women choose to foolishly go their own way and live out a lifestyle that is contrary to God, there are consequences. And these are part of the dire consequences of that choice. Last week, we looked at the first four trumpet blasts and all that came with their judgments. The first trumpet blown, it, it, brew, it, it brought hail and fire and, and, and cast to earth uh, blood. All of these things we saw, this results in the burning of one third of the earth, specifically burned our trees and, and green grass. She knows, I'm telling you, the baby knows. <laughs> Various crops like wheat and barley and rice and corn, these, all these things will be destroyed, causing a great famine. This is what will take place. 
With the second trumpet blast came something like a great mountain falling from the sky. We know it's not a mountain. It may be some form of an asteroid or meteorite that will destroy one third of the open sea and the sea life within it. And again, as I talked about last week, I just uh, automatically got a, a, a picture of like the South Pacific and, and how a lot of those countries, they, they rely on the fresh water or, or the, uh, the, the, the offspring from the sea and how that's all going to be destroyed with, the, with this asteroid hitting the earth. And then the third trumpet blast brought forth a star called Wormwood and it fell from the sky again. Now this time destroying freshwater lakes. And, and, and this won't be good. And, and the water will become polluted and become bitter. And, and many will die from drinking it. And then the fourth trumpet blow, blew and a third of the day and night will be taken away. And so, you know, we have so many hours of daylight, but you're going to have some of that taken away. And it's going to be, you know, uh, daytime, but it's going to be dark. And, and, you know, nighttime, it's not going to have, uh, you know, all of the stars shining upon the earth. There's going to be a portion of the night that's going to be darkened. Oh, my goodness, that's that's just so intense to think about. You know, it's just it's just very heavy. It's very heavy. And after these four trumpets comes the three woes as to tell us it's only going to become worse and worse for those who have chosen to willfully reject Jesus Christ as their savior and as their Lord. These are, these are consequences for that, uh, that act of defiance to say, I will live with a clutch fist denying the existence of God and I will erect up myself as God. And that's truly what we do when we rebel against the Most High. Uh, whether it's a God of our own creation, our own understanding, or just us ourselves wanting to have no consequences or no responsibility. Today we'll be, we will be looking at the fifth trumpet, uh, being blown and the dreadful punishment that will fall upon those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. Make no mistake. Hell is a very real place. Hell is real. It's not some made up place. It's not some fantasy world. It is real. One very interesting thing about us as humans, right, is we naturally deny or turn away from whatever it is that we believe is not true. If we believe something's not true, we just deny, deny, deny. I was watching a diver. We're, we're watching Diary of a Wimpy Kid right now in my household. All about the, the, the you know, the, the three movies. And I think uh, it's Roderick Rules is the second one. And, you know, Roderick, the older brother. And, you know, uh, the parents go away uh, on vacation. They're supposed to go to some, like, Raging Waters thing. And the boys, the two older boys, they, they got in trouble since they're, you know, not getting along. And so the mom and the dad are like, you guys got to stay home. You can't go on this trip. And you guys got to bond. And the first thing Roderick does is he gets on his phone. He says, party at my house. <laughs> Long story short. They end up getting caught. But before they get caught, Roderick's bit of wisdom to his little brother Greg is this. Deny, deny, deny. Whatever they ask, deny it. Do never come forth with the truth. Deny, deny, deny. And I know that's a, a silly illustration or example. But that's, that's how we are as people, right? If something doesn't jive with us, if we're like, nah, that, uh, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to see that. 
That's our natural response is we deny, deny, deny. And as we see in the Bible all too often, we as people, our natural bend is to deny the existence of God. The Jews did it with Jesus Christ. They said, yeah, we have a Messiah, but it's not you. (laughs) We're going to deny, 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 even though they saw the signs. They saw the miracles. They said, oh, he hangs around with tax collectors and adulterers. And, oh, how how could that be the Messiah? (laughs) That's how how gracious and and good and long-suffering our God is, that he would allow himself to come down to the level of of, of, of despicable people and say, I love you. I want to redeem you. I want to make you a new creation. I want you to be in my image, not, not in this way of the world. We see this clearly uh, as far as we denying the truth in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, and it says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned onto fables. Well, why did they get turned onto fables? Because they denied the truth. They don't want to accept the truth. They want to accept what's palatable, oh, what tastes good. It doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. It doesn't make me squirm in my seat. We must remember conviction is such a blessing. Don't ever lose conviction. Once your conscience or my conscience is seared and we're able to do whatever we want without any, any kind of prick, Oh, oh just, I'm hurt. I feel bad about what I did. And this is a, this is a very sad place to be where you don't have any conscience, where you don't have any conviction for when we live not contrary to God's way. You see, the word of God is clear that apart from the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, people will turn away from the truth and turn to myths. But why? Why do we do this? Again, because the truth pierces it hurts to know the truth it does if we any of us sat up here and said oh the truth doesn't bother me we clearly have lied or we clearly think we're further along spiritually matured than we really are because the truth hurts when you go into the mirror later today and give an honest assessment of what you've done the last seven days i guarantee you you're going to be convicted of at least one or two things because none of us are perfect Trust me, I've been going through it all week. (laughs) I'm like, Lord, man, have mercy on me. He's a good God, so he has mercy upon us. You think about it like this. Just like it's painful to be told you have stage four cancer, I can guarantee you, if any of us went to the doctor this afternoon and the doctor told us, i got to be brutally honest with you, the reality is your colonoscopy came back and you got stage four cancer, you have colon cancer. (gasps) That's going to be a striking blow. But the doctor, in trying to do the right thing to ensure your health, is not going to or should not lie to you, but tell you clearly the truth so you know where you're at. And that's what the Bible does for us. It tells us the utter truth so then we could move forward. You see, if we can't, even, if we can't grasp the truth and deal with the truth, well, then we're already... I mean, there's nowhere to go. You know, the starting point is, okay, Lord, tell me who I am. And from there, we can be changed. But we have to be able to deal with that truth. You see, many don't want to hear that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Many don't even want to hear that they need to be saved 
in the first place. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not like that dude. I'm not, I'm not over there doing that. I'm not in East Oakland acting out. I pay my taxes. I have an honest job. You're still a wretch. You're still broken and undone. You see, but we gauge because we're humans. We gauge our righteousness based off of other people. And if I'm not raping, murdering, killing, drunken, all up in the strip club, I must be good. Uh, no, <laughs> there's a depravity about all of us. We can dress ourselves up. I can do my hair and shave and look the part. But the inner core of who I am is broken and needs saving. And only Jesus Christ can save. And that's a that's a beautiful message. But again, we have to come to the point where we're OK with understanding who we are. And then the Lord can come in and do that work, that refinery that only he can do. Remember, he is the potter and we are the clay. May we be those who stay on the potter's wheel. Remember, Va used to say, we're, we're like sacrifices that we want to we crawl off the altar. <laughs> we want to be sacrifices that stay, that throw ourselves upon the mercy seat of God and just allow him to do that work. See, there's a level of humility and submission that must occur within an individual's life in order to truly be converted. We cannot vacillate back and forth and fight and backbite. And as the word of God says, kick against the goads, because all that is, is it just makes more, more, more discomfort for us. We have to just let him do what he can only do. Amen? Amen. You see, because the reality, people deny the truth because it's comfortable not having to be accountable. If I'm not accountable... To anything, If I'm not accountable to my wife, I mean, then I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences. But I'm accountable to my wife, so, you know, I can't just go online and buy whatever I want. We share checking accounts or we share savings accounts. Everything is joined. And so whatever I do, she sees. And so I got to run it by her. Hey, babe, I was kind of thinking about, you know, I kind of want to get this or get this new game or whatnot. And then, you know, we usually have the conversation. Well, do you need it? Clearly, I don't need anything. Everything I have, for the most part, is wants because the necessities are met. But, you know, I'm accountable to my wife, so we converse about these things. I don't just go blindly, you know, spending money and then wondering, well, why, why, why do we not have funds? Well, because you just done spent everything. You weren't accountable to your other half, to the other half of your flesh, your one flesh. And for us, we're accountable to God. We're accountable to how we spend our time. Do we understand that why we're here still living and ticking is because he wants to get honor and glory from our lives. That's the whole point of why we're here. If not, he would have just saved us and we would have been gone already. But he sees fit to do something well in your life that only he could do through you. Through you, the Holy Spirit living in you, you can affect a spirit of people in your influence that only you can affect. And that's why you're still alive. There's family members in your, fa- in your life that are not saved. There's people you know that are not saved. There's people that need godly wisdom. And you're the person that God wants to use to give it to them. But are we willing to humble ourselves, be made clean vessels so that we can do that? See, that's what it truly is about why we're still here. You see, when you talk about death, many people want to believe everybody goes to heaven. 
That's just, uh, it's just comforting. When I die, I'm going to heaven. When I die, God's going to let me in. I think of that old cartoon movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. With no bearing or understanding that we serve a holy and just God. We always want to talk about God's love. That's just one aspect of his very sophisticated character. He's also a God that's jealous. He's also a God that has wrath. You know, we never want to talk about that. Oh, the wrath of God. Oh, no. You Christians are just out of control. The, the wrath of God is very real and it's very justifiable. But because of his long suffering, he has allowed this world to endure for so long because his desire is that none perish, but that every come, everyone come to repentance. You see, unless you're morbidly possessed, or yes, morbidly possessed, I'll say it. No one says, I want to go to hell. Nobody in their right mind is talking about, I want to go to hell. Who, in, who have you met that says that? If they're saying that, they're not in their right frame of mind. Because nobody wants to go to that place. You see, many don't even believe it exists. It just, ah, just the thought of it. I know, he's a good God. There can't be hell. You don't, don't talk about that. Just, uh, you, have, you remember mental spirit? Don't, don't, don't say it. You spoke it into existence. Oh, give me a break. We have to be honest about what is going on. You see, many people don't believe that hell exists because they don't want to believe that they could possibly be in torment for eternity. The saddest thing about this is hell was never created for people, but for Satan and his demons. But if any decide to align themselves with Satan and his demons, they will perish and suffer torment forever along with them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 tells us, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, I truly believe that the Lord has revealed to me through his scripture that he doesn't take any pleasure in people going to hell. And some people say, well, God send people to hell. The reality is God's not sending anybody to hell. We go to hell of our own admission because we choose to rebel and deny the only one who could save our souls. Again, I bring it back to the, the context of a doctor telling you you have stage four cancer. You see, the doctor has the medical treatment available to you and everything that you need so you could have a fighting chance to get better. And yet if we said, okay, doc, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to go my own route with this stage four cancer. So you can keep your chemo treatment. You can keep all your, your, your drugs. I'm just going to go it alone. Then the doctor didn't do it to you. You chose to go your own way. And with the doctor, it's not even a 100% chance that the cancer is going to go away. But with God, it's a 100% chance that your soul can be saved. Why would we ever turn our backs on that? That's so sad to me. I take no pleasure in sharing this information, but I have to be honest of what the scriptures say. And we have to understand that we are saved, not merely for our own salvation, but God wants to save your whole household. You see, the reason why we see all of this degradation and all of the demise of, of, of government, and it seems like society is because family has been eroded. 
And if you, if Satan can erode family, then he knows he can erode neighborhoods. He can erode communities. He can erode counties. He can erode states. If he can erode states, he can erode countries. And we see this across the globe. The fracture of the family. And you have men not being men. You have women taking on the role of womanhood and manhood. You have many men siring babies and not sticking around to raise them. And it's a very sad situation. It's a very sad situation. But yet, with intercessory prayer and with true believers seeking out the Lord on the matter and reaching out to those in the community, starting in our own homes, we could see change. We really could. We really could. At the very least, your own household be saved. Amen? And that's our responsibility. And I'm speaking to the men. (laughs) That's our responsibility. Men are supposed to raise their children up in the way of the Lord. And I know not every situation is perfect. Maybe you have adult children and they're not walking with the Lord right now. You know, what's done is done in the past, but what you have today, you can make a difference. And your prayers and your love for them will go a long way. And sometimes your love for them is no. (laughs) I'm learning that with my children all the time. You know, my wife's like, man, stiffen up. Tell Tears a no. Tell her you're not carrying her down the stairs. Tell Kalos no, it's taken away. You know, I know as parents, we, we want the best for our children. But sometimes our emotions get in the way and we have to be like, you know what? No means no. It's the best thing for them, right? The Bible talks about the rod of reproof. I'm not saying beat your kid, but man, if your kid's never felt the hand, that's not good. <laughs> that's just telling them they could just get away with, they, with what they want and the manipulation factor. Amen. It's not a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. The Bible's clear. The Lord disciplines those he loves. A lot of times we go through pain because the Lord's disciplining us. And he's weeding away things in our lives. And we're like, ah, because our natural bend is towards sin. So it's like the ripping apart. It hurts. It hurts to be told, this ain't right in you, Keefing. I'm ripping this away. We just got to humble ourselves and let it go. Amen. All right. The second main point is this. The desire to live forever apart from Jesus Christ is always sinful. And when the fifth trumpet sounds, those apart from Christ won't be able to die. You see, we currently live in a culture where youth is celebrated. I should actually say it's worshipped to be youthful, to be vibrant, to be young. Oh, we've, we're so influenced by this in the media, in society. We are bombarded daily with images and products that are made with the purpose of trying to slow down the aging process. It's like nobody wants to die. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about death. Oh, I can't deal with it. I just want to live in my cozy, comfy bubble. <laughs> I want to take my vacations. I mean, you know, but the reality is death is real. You see, anything from, from anti-wrinkle cream, they actually have some blood plasma that they take from teenagers and young adults from ages 16 to 25, and they use it as an anti-aging remedy. That's wild stuff. <laughs> Doing all these things to try to stay youthful. And I get it. We, we are to take care of ourselves. I'm not saying be slothful. And be lazy. We are to take care of ourselves. 
We honor God in that way. But what I'm saying is there's something definitely wrong with an obsession with looking and feeling young. You know, it's again, you know, brought on by the entertainment industry. Nobody wants to get wrinkles. Nobody wants to get gray hair. I mean, it's part of life. <laughs> You're gonna... But what does the Bible say about gray hair? Oh, it's a good thing. If, if you've lived this long that you have gray hair, you better praise God because there should be wisdom associated with the fact that you have gray hair. Do you know that there's many people that have not lived, they didn't make it to have gray hair. Their life was cut short and they just had nice jet black hair. <laughs> I'll take being 43 and having all kind of gray up in my beard than me dying at 25. I want to live out my ordained, ordained time on the planet. And, and, and gray hair and wrinkles are a part of that. It's a good thing. It's okay. <laughs> you see, the entertainment world reveres those who are youthful and can successfully reinvent themselves to stay relevant amongst a younger generation. I mean, all you have to do is just look at how our society typically treats older people, the elderly. Many times they are looked at as having no value and that they're a hindrance. Oh, they're a hindrance. I got my own life. I can't, I can't help you out. You know, before my, my dad died, I was, a, and, and I, I, was, I was in and out of the church at that time. I was in my early 20s, so it's like I had some framework of God, but I was still living reckless. But I remember... You know, I went to go visit my brother up in Portland, and that's where my dad was staying. And, uh, you know, I, I had to help him in the shower, had to change his depends. I mean, it was, it was crazy, man. It's like, I'm taking care of you, you know? But I look back on that now, and, you know, it's uh, a lot of times we don't do that, or we don't do it with the right heart. I'm not saying that every family that puts their aging parents in an elderly home are wrong. What I'm saying is society no longer values the seasoned experience and wisdom of older people. We just, we don't. I mean, how many times do you see someone, a young person, open up the door for an older man or an older woman? Or anybody for that matter. Somebody their own age. They don't do it. It's like, I'm going. I don't care if you're right behind me. I'm not holding the door open for you. And nowadays, everyone's so scared of getting the, the whatever, the virus. They're like, oh. <laughs> I, I, I can't hold the door open because I got to stay six feet apart. I mean, you, might, you might breathe on me and I might get it. But I mean, it's just so sad. There's a lack of respect there. A lack of genuine value of these people. You see, it is this unhealthy desire to be young forever apart from Jesus Christ. That's a sin. That's a sin to want to be young forever, but you don't want nothing to do with Jesus. You see, there is no fountain of youth. No matter how well you take care of yourself, you will die. But the thing is this. In the search of all these things, it's all vanity. All we have to do is go back to the writings inspired by the Holy Spirit through Solomon and Ecclesiastes. I'll look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. It says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. You see, striving to stay young will one day backfire on those who curse God. This is the whole point of why I'm bringing this up. 
in our context this morning. You see, during the fifth trumpet blast, those who are not found in the Lamb's book of life will know, will long to die, but they can't. They want to die, but they cannot die. Can, I can't even imagine thinking about that or seeing that. That is so horrible. That the, that the, the anguish, the pain, the torment is so grievous to them that they are longing to die. But the Lord is like, it's not your time. You're going to stay alive and you're going to deal with this torment because you have chosen to trample on the blood of my son as if it was common. And now you are paying the price for your disobedience. Ooh, that's what I'm talking It's heavy. This stuff is heavy and it's real. And it's going to happen to people who right now, if they are not choosing Christ and they're saying, I'm going to live apart from you. Heaven forbid that they don't get converted before this time comes. Because they're going to be walking into this. You see, but once the reality of final judgment of God Almighty falls upon this earth, many will desire to be saved from the torment, but not even death will come to their aid. Man, that's just, that's just so sad. And that's so scary to think that that's really going to happen. It's not zombie land. This is real life walking dead. People that are wanting to die, but they can't. May we be those that utilize the time we've been given to witness appropriately. Amen. So that we may see souls saved. So that we may be those who either plant a seed or water. Doesn't matter what we do, just as long as we're being faithful and we're pointing people to Christ. Amen. I mean, it's so important. It's so important. All right. The the third main point is this. The consequences for willful rejection of Jesus Christ is suffering and torment forever. All people saved and unsaved suffer in this life. That's just the reality. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't make you exempt from going through difficult times. The Bible is clear in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. But this kind of suffering is either due to living in a fallen, sinful world, or God is trying to mold you and I into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ, throughout the difficult circumstances that we will experience. But these two kinds of sufferings are nothing like the eternal suffering and torment that will come upon those about to enter into eternity. You see, every human being is given a free will. Right To exercise that free will, to honor God by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We all have that free will to choose. The problem is, unless we have come to recognize our brokenness apart from God, we will use our free will to satisfy our fleshly desires, whatever those fleshly desires are. That's just the reality. While in any season of sin... We are blinded by the consequences of that sin. We just see the immediate gratification of doing whatever we're doing. That particular choice of sin. Oh man, it's, it's great. I'm getting a lot out of it. But the problem with living this way is that ultimately we always will reap what we sow. The Bible is clear that the consequences of unconfessed sin, unforgiven sin, is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. This is where punishment and torment, righteous judgment come into play. 
You see, God the Father has given the world a clear out, a way to be forgiven. But if we willfully refuse to accept Jesus Christ's payment for our sins, we are condemned. John chapter 3 verse 18 tells us, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Being condemned is not simply being apart from Jesus Christ for eternity. It is suffering the righteous judgment and being tormented, not only by all of the curses in hell, but tormented by the decision that we fail to make. I I believe there's going to be many people that are going to be tormented by the fact that they did not choose Christ when they had a chance. It's like the rich ruler He walked over Lazarus day after day, didn't pay him no mind, went to the went to hell and was like, oh, could I just get a drop of water? And his desire was that, oh, my family members, could they know? And he was told they have the prophets. If they won't believe them, they're not going to believe you. And his his greatest pain was the fact that he had a chance and he let it slip through his fingers today. If you need to get right with the Lord, do it. Don't take it for granted, the grace that's been given to you this morning. Every breath that you and I take is grace and mercy being bestowed upon us. It's a great responsibility to live for the Lord. But it's so worse to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. How horrible would that be? I pray that that would never be the case for any of us and that we would redeem the time because the days are evil and that we would utilize the breath in our lungs to love on people around us, love people enough to tell them the truth, even if it offends them at the sake of being faithful to the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at verse one here. Long (laughs) introduction, but it's worth it because we have to get into the word. There's none of this candy coating, you know, just being light about it. We need to get to the core of the message. All right. It says in verse one, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. All right. So first off, we see here the fifth angel sounded this trumpet. Remember, there were seven seals and they followed thematically, if not chronologically, by seven trumpets. In their arranged order, they are similar. The first four seals and trumpets presented judgments directed against the earth. In the first four seals, these were the four horsemen bringing tyranny, war, famine, and death to the earth. In the first four trumpets, these were the ecological destruction of vegetation, seas, fresh water, and sky. Now these last three seals are focused upon heaven. The cry of the martyrs, cosmic disturbances and the heavenly prelude to the seven trumpets the last three trumpets will speak of hell in terms of the demonic spiritual warfare is real angels that are faithful to the lord god are real and demonic forces demons fallen angels are real this is not a game it's not a joke these things exist i'm sure many of you have experienced both sides of this it's real Now we see this statement, I saw a star falling from heaven. The text clearly shows us that this star is a person. 
because it refers to a hymn. It's not a literary star. The verb tense, past tense, fallen, indicates that he already has fallen. But the question is, who is this star? Well, let's look at it in its context. The star is best seen as an angel. Whether he is good or bad angel depends on his relation to the angel of the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. If the angel of Revelation chapter 9, verse 1 is the same as the angel of Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, it is an angel of evil, perhaps Satan himself. If it is not, it's a different angel. It may be a good angel sent by God to open up this bottomless pit for the purpose of judgment. Now, I don't claim to be some great Bible scholar on that. This is just the information that I'm sharing with you, and you can take it upon yourself to determine what the Lord shows you about that. Okay? The next point we see here is that to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Because this star is falling, it makes sense to associate him with Satan or another high-ranking evil angelic being. But notice this is a very important part. The fact that he is given the key to the bottomless pit. Some would think that this makes it not associate him with Satan. From the simple fact that the idea that Satan is the master of hell is foreign to the rest of scripture. You see, Satan will be a victim of hell. He's not the ruler of it. You know, some people think, oh, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to have a party and it's going to be a blast. No, it's not. And Satan and God are not on the same trajectory. You know, God is up here with like his, you know, big old waffle stomping boot on Satan's throat. That's how it works. They are not on level playing field. Satan is going to be a victim of hell, just like everyone else who will be there. At the same time, we notice that the key is given to this being and that it is given at a specific time and for a specific purpose that furthers God's plan. This angel, evil or good, serves God's purpose, even if he does not intend to. And next we see this phrase of the bottomless pit. Some wonder where this is. Some would say the straightforward answer is that it is the center of the earth because there one might say it is all top and nothing is bottom. However, some think that the bottomless nature of this pit is symbolic. And it's very interesting. So, I, you know, many of you know I work with the special needs uh, people at a private special needs school in San Jose. And I have one specific client there who has an anxiety about hell. And, uh, you know, we're not supposed to talk to him about it because he's like, fire and brimstone. He said he went to a... I went to a service when he was a child and he said, the, 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 the preacher said, the wicked shall be punished. And he always says it like that. And if you talk to him about God, oh man, it gets the, the you know, the, the higher up staff, oh man, the faculty, they get frustrated. They don't want you talking anything about it. And uh, it's just very interesting because even though he's on the spectrum, he has a good sense of understanding right and wrong. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to tell him, hey, you talked to that, <laughs> you talked to dad about that. I always tell him, God bless you. I always tell him, God bless you to the chagrin of some of my, uh, my coworkers in management because they're like, you're not supposed to be talking to him like that. I mean, fire me. <laughs> I'm just trying to bless the guy, man. That's why I work here. And he probably knows a whole lot more about evil and good than many people that are neurotypical that work there just for the fact that he understands that, man, there's some part of life that's not good, you know. But this whole idea is so true. And, and uh the abyss is a prison and it's a prison certain for demons fallen angels 
we have to understand that some demons are allowed to roam the earth. And these demon, demons, excuse me, they torment people. And they try to oppress people. They try to take up residence in a, a body because they don't want to be out, right? Demons want to be inside someone to take up residence. And that's why the Bible talks about when anyone does any form of, uh, of, of, of you know, taking out a demon or casting a demon out of someone, the Holy Spirit has to come in and take up residence. You can't just be trying to cast out demons and, and, and not have the Holy Spirit take up residence. Because if not, that one demon is going to come back with many more, so much worse than himself. And that person's life is going to be in shambles. So we have to use discernment when doing that. Sometimes people just want to be all on a, on a roll and they want to be running around casting demons at everybody. Come on, now you got to be led by the Holy Spirit. That stuff is no joke. That stuff is no joke. And if you don't have... If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit engaging in that kind of warfare, you're going to be like those dudes who were trying to use Jesus Christ's name, didn't have a relationship with them. They got beat up, bloodied and naked running out from the area because it's no joke. You know, we can't just be doing it because we think now, this is where waiting upon the Holy Spirit, waiting upon the Lord to show you. Sometimes it's just better to intercede and pray for people because the Lord it's not. Maybe it's the Lord, not the Lord's will for you to be doing that kind of stuff. It's no joke. And you don't need no crucifix. <laughs> you don't need no crucifix. You don't need no special water. The Holy Spirit will do it all. Remember when Jesus encountered Legion, remember, who was possessed. Uh, Legion possessed this man and he was cutting himself in the graveyard. Luke chapter 8, verse 31. And speaking of these demonic, the demonic presence within this man, they, and they begged him, speaking of Jesus Christ, not to condemn them to depart into the abyss. Also remember 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. This is probably the same place as this bottomless pit that we see here in Scripture in this context right here. More generally, this place is considered to be the realm of the dead, the same as Hades. You can read about that in Romans chapter 10, verse 7. And we go back to Revelation chapter, uh, right where we're at in verse 1. It is a good example of how the book of Revelation is sometimes wrongly spiritualized in its interpretation. You see, some commentators say that this star is the word of God, which is super weird. The pit is human nature. And then the lesson is that if the gospel is rejected, horrors are unleashed. But this is far from the plain meaning of this verse. The application is simply this. We must see to it that we are studying the word of God in its correct context. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to empty us of ourselves and to fill us with him, with godly wisdom so that we can correctly divide the word of truth. The bottomless pit is real. And we don't want anything to do with it or the wickedness that is associated with it. Amen. All right, let's look at verses 2 down through 6. And it says, He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. 
And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Man, that's heavy. Uh, it just, it's just, just, this is wild. So out of the smoke, locusts come up to the earth. These are obviously not natural locusts. They avoid plants and attack men like scorpions attack. They are a visual representation of hordes of demons loosed upon the earth. That's what is going on here. The application is this. The idea is simply that as part of the judgment of the great tribulation, God will allow demonic hordes previously imprisoned to descend upon earth like a swarm of destructive locusts. You see that? Again, this is the whole premise of why it's so important to redeem the time that we have. For us to do our part. You know, I, I just... I, it would be amazing, you know, just to meet people in heaven. And maybe it's someone, you know, some, maybe somebody, some checker at some gas station. I don't know. And you said, God bless you. Just something as simple as that. And it's like, that was something that helped them and put them on the trajectory to seek God, you know, when they were in a place of, of darkness. But we have to redeem the time because if not these things, people will fall into the hands of the true and living God. And that's a horrible thing, Right. When we fall into his hands through wrath and they're going to have to face stuff like this it is not good. And so while we have the time, we need to utilize that time and be led by the Holy Spirit and engage with people. Amen. All right. It says the seal of God on their foreheads. These are those who will not be tormented during this time. It makes you think of the 144,000 Jews that are protected. This is what's going on here. We have to understand that this, 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 this demonic horde that's coming upon the earth, this is an inescapable judgment of God. Just like when someone truly surrenders their life over to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come in and dwell with them. That person, you or I, for a period of time or whatever, we may grieve the Holy Spirit, but the person of the Holy Spirit will never leave or forsake them. He's never going to leave you or me. We may have a super rocky time because we're not living in alignment with the Holy Spirit. And that's largely a large part of why sometimes we go through difficult things because we're just backbiting and we're not humbling ourselves. But the Holy Spirit's not going to leave us because we've been sealed for the day of redemption. In the same way, if we continue to deny and reject Jesus Christ, we will face judgment. And that's, this is part of that judgment right here. We can count on it. There's no way around it. It's an inescapable judgment if we rebel as a lifestyle and continually say, no, 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 no. Just look at Pharaoh. He kept vacillating. Okay, I'm going to let you people go. No, I'm not going to do it. Even after the firstborn of, Israel, uh, from, of Egypt all got killed. He still, you know, that's just so sad. It's like, what does it take to wake a person up? But, you know, given over, given over to their own desires. Now, it's, again, speaking of these locusts, they were not given authority to kill, but to torment for five months. The purpose and period is expressly governed by God Almighty, and the purpose of all of this is to bring repentance. Remember, God's desire is, not, is, is that none perish. He's, uh, he's not taking joy in this. But the torment is to show people, man, wake up. 
Do you not see how real this is? These demonic forces have kind of come upon you. Will you not repent and give praise, honor, and glory to the true and holy God? And that's what it's about. Revelation chapter 9 verses 20 and 21 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thieves. You see, there's going to be some that just will not bow a knee. Well, everyone will bow a knee. These who choose to rebel will be forced one day to bow the knee. It's so much better to bow the knee now. Bow it now and be good. Know that you could be saved. Know that your household could be saved. Know that you could be reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in your community and be used in a great way to see people's souls saved and not see the torment fall upon men as we see here in this context. Now we see this, and this is just too wild. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Death will run away and they will still be alive. Death will offer no escape from this prolonged torture. You see, their power is described like the power of scorpions. And the bite of a scorpion, through extreme, though extremely painful, is rarely fatal. I don't know if anyone's been, been, been bit by a scorpion. I mean, I've been stung by a bee. I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I'm a weenie. I don't like that. I couldn't deal with a scorpion. Maybe Bear, you know, bear Grylls, he's always eating all kind of stuff and running all over the place in the mountains. But man, you know, I couldn't imagine being stung repeatedly by scorpions. But this is what's going on. They will desire to die. You know, the crazy thing about this is the tormented ones will, will want to die. Remember uh, the Apostle Paul, he wanted to die <laughs> in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 down through 23, but for a completely different reason and a completely different result for Paul, right? For Paul, death led to eternal blessing. But for these tormented ones, death is a leap from the frying pan, if you will, of present torture into eternal flames. The idea of death as an escape, is a demonic deception. Uh, an example of this, I don't know if you guys remember the, the infamous murderers of uh, Littleton, Colorado. This was years back. Um, they made some chilling home videos uh, before they went on their killing spree. And uh, anyways, they left behind a videotape documenting, documenting how they spelled out what they were going to do and their motives. And at one point, um, you know, one of the, the gentlemen said, uh, you know, we're going to have our little judgment day. And they basically said, I, I don't like this life. I'm not happy with this life. I'm not happy here. But when I die, I'm going to go to a better place. And this is, this is such a demonic deception to think that you could run around murdering and killing people. And that after you're done, you can take your own life and go to heaven and you're going to be at peace. It doesn't work like that. Now, I'm not saying that we're any better than those murderers. We're all sinners. But those murderous sinners need to be saved and they need the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse them from all their wickedness. And if you die in your sin, unfortunately, you cannot be cleansed of that wickedness, whether if you only killed an ant or you killed a person. Right. And so that's what we see here. An application is this. 
The only refuge from the wrath of God is found in God. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. The only way we will wind up in a better place when we die is if we humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and invite him into our hearts to be our savior, for him to sit on the throne of our hearts and be the ruler reigning supreme in our lives. Amen? That's the only way. All right. We have a few more verses and we'll wrap it up right here. We'll go down through verses 7 to 10. And it says, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like a breastplate of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle they have tails and sting like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails so we see this statement the appearance of locusts was like horses prepared for battle many attempts have been made to show that this is an accurate, though poetic, description of natural locusts. This approach misses the obvious demonic connection. Why would God call them locusts if they are not literal locusts, but demonic spirits who swarm and destroy like locusts? Among other reasons, because locusts are agents of God's judgment, this is a consistent theme with the Old Testament figure in passages like uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 38, that says, You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. We also have Second Chron- and this is just a few. We have Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse uh, 13, that says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. You also have Joel chapter 1, verse 4. This hits it on the nail on the head great. It says, What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts have eaten. So we see consistent with scripture in regards to this idea of something like locusts. We go on and we see like horses, like gold, like the faces of men, like women's hair, like lion's teeth. We have to look at the repetition of like indicates something other than a literal description that is intended. The total impact of this picture is one of unnatural an awesome cruelty, a demonic force, something that is unclean, dark powers, demons that are, that are raging havoc upon the earth at this time. Some suggest that these locusts actually describe something such as a helicopter gunships of the Antichrist or a one world government. Now, when you get into sensationalism, these ideas sound interesting, but at best they are purely speculative and don't fit all the details here. Once again, this is not man's hand in things. This is the judgment of God. It is best to see these locusts as demonic spirits that have been given bodies so that they may carry out the Lord's punishment to those who have rejected his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the truth. There can be no specific answer to, to, to the question of exactly what or who symbolizes, uh, is symbolized by the plague of these locusts. All we can know is for sure that in this period of time and immediately before the end, 
the wicked will be subjected to a time of unprecedented demonic torment. That's it. You know, the, you, can, you can try to figure out all day what this actually is. Just know you don't want to be there. It's not a good look. <laughs> you know, and you pray that people don't have to go through this because it's going to be horrible. The bottom line is this. This is the application. It doesn't matter what form of punishment and torment the Lord God Almighty decides to use. No one should be foolish enough to take lightly falling into his hands of wrath. And that's why, again, the heaviness, the, 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 the deep reverence for God. Today, we've been given new grace. We've been given new mercy. May we walk in light of that and see him for who he is. Amen? All right, here's the last verse, verse 11. It says, speaking of these demonic forces, they have a king as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Okay, they have a king over them. This is another indication that these creatures are not literal locusts. The Bible tells us that literal locusts have no king. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 27 tells us the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. Yet these particular locusts do have a king. Well, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon? Their king is given a name. Abaddon or Apollyon both have the same thought of destruction or torment, perdition. We've heard that word before, right? The angel of the bottomless pit. Since this is the king of these locusts, and since he has the name Abaddon or Apollyon, this is obviously Satan himself or another high-ranking leader of demons. Today we, again, are still living in the dispensation of grace. Today we still have the ability to choose. The reality is this. May we choose life and life abundantly and not death. May we serve the God of all creation and not the God of this world. Amen? Amen. We have been warned. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we, we, just, we take serious your scripture. Well, we know that it is no joke. We know that there are severe ramifications for us not to react to what we've been exposed to. We cannot claim ignorance because we have the truth revealed to us. All we could claim is foolishness if we don't respond. May we be those that take seriously the call upon our lives and the grace that's been given. Father, you have anointed every single one of us here for a great work. Lord, may you do that work. May we not hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through our lives. May we be compassionate. May we love like Jesus Christ. May we have a burden for people. Lord, we can't say we love you and we don't love people. We need to see you work in our midst. So, Lord, may you have free will in us, Lord, and may we do whatever it is you call us to do. Help us to be faithful witnesses, Lord to share the love of Christ with those around us. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.